The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for what you need to know to start or grow a business investing in real estate. And many times folks will ask me, why do you continue week in and week out to drag yourself through the horrible Cincinnati traffic to come to a little public radio station in the northernmost part of the city and spend an hour preparing for and an hour doing and an hour driving back and forth from real life real estate investing and, and do it over and over again for 17 years. And the answer is the huge paycheck that I get at the end of each week. And and actually, I've got to talk to somebody about that because it hasn't come in for the last 350 weeks in a row or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, yes, like, like many of the folks uh, who, who are involved in public radio, I am a volunteer and obviously this you know in public radio you don't get on the air and sell things the way you can do in commercial radio or the way you can do on webinars so that ain't it either uh it's it's sort of a mission to let you the listener hear people who are successful in real estate investing uh both to educate you and to inspire you and yeah, we do our fair share of the inspirational stuff. People who come on and say, I did the best deal of the year and I made $35,000 in cash in one day with no problems, no bumps. And uh, we also go for the educational stuff of like, all right, so what does it really mean to to buckle down and, and find deals or 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 structure creative offers or do uh lease option assignments or or manage rentals or whatever the case may be i also enjoy about the program that i get to meet folks from all over the country that i wouldn't normally run across in my day-to-day -day activities and my guest today is a great example of that. I actually posted a request back in January on the Real Life Real Estate Facebook page saying, hey, uh, anybody know any really good guests who have good stuff to say that uh, we haven't had here before? And Gary Johnston was one of the first recommendations I got from a member of uh, the Central Ohio real estate entrepreneurs who said he's awesome, he's really experienced, he really knows what he's talking about, and he talks about something that's that's difficult and unsexy, and yet he does it in a way that folks can really understand. So 
Joining me today is Gary Johnston. He is an active investor in residential real estate, commercial real estate, and notes. He started doing this over 25 years ago after being at Hewlett-Packard for 16 years as the director of research and development for the laser jet business. But because of what I think you're going to find to be a relatively conservative investment philosophy, he was able to quit that job and leave the rat race at the age of 38. He currently lives in Idaho with his wife and two sons, and it is from there that he is joining us by phone. Gary, welcome to Real Life Real Estates. Well, thank you for having me, Dina. Uh, thrilled, thrilled to do it. And um, in our discussion about what we were going to talk about today, it was, it, it, it was, it was, it was a little bit difficult just because you're you're coming to Ohio uh, in a few weeks. You're going to be at uh, Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs on June the third, and here in Cincinnati at Cincinnati RIA on June the fifth. And I know when you're there, you're going to be showing people some math. And math is really tough to do on the radio. It just, it just, <laughs> it just is. You know, I just I imagine these four folks on their way home in rush hour traffic, getting out a pen and trying to write down what you're saying, and it just it doesn't work. So we're we're gonna we're gonna stay away from the sort of the direct, you know, mathematical thing and talk talk more about how you think about deals in the in both the big sense and the small sense of of you know, my whole my whole real estate career and also uh, any particular deal. So let's let's talk first about what it was that got you into the real estate business and how you uh, sort of developed the philosophy that we're going to be talking about today. Okay, great. Uh, so I actually grew up in a, in a small little town in eastern Oregon and a uh, population of about 200, counting every cat and dog you could find. Uh, you know, 90 miles to the nearest McDonald's, 40 miles to the nearest grocery store. So, you know, it, it, it be out there. And, um, I, the, I loved growing up there. Wouldn't trade growing up in that small little ranching and uh, logging community for the world. But one of the many blessings of growing up there is I actually met a man by the name of Norbert Volney and he had, Moved to our area. He had retired in California. He was a contractor down there. Had moved up to Oregon, bought a ranch, and he was going to retire. Well, that worked about six months, and um, and then he went stir crazy, and he had to start doing something again. So he uh, was, you know, a, a very good investor, and so he was buying properties and doing repairs and different things. And so he hired me to haul boards and you know pour mud and do about whatever grunt uh, thing. Uh, he needed i was i was there to do uh, but one of the things that uh, and i was probably about 13 years old when i started working for balmy and one of the things he always called me kid and it, up until uh, about a week before he died you know he, he would call me kid he's uh, a great man and and one of the things we do is we was working and he would always say now kid listen up now are you listening and when he said that, you knew he was about to say something important. Now, I still, you know, I was 13 at the time, so I didn't know what was important or not important, but he always flagged it for me with that phrase. And he would say something like, you'll never get rich on a W-2. And we would talk about that. Of course, you know, I'm 13, so I have no clue what a W-2 is, you know. Um, but he would spend time talking about the importance of, building assets that generate cash flow. And 
versus a, a complete focus on a on a W two. Now, he thought also uh, that college education was important, and he really, you know, beat into me about how important it was to go to college and, and, and get a degree. But at the same time, he never wanted me to get hooked on a a W two job. And so, uh, if I was to pick one person that probably had one of the greatest impacts in, in getting me started in the real estate business. It would be Norma Balmy starting at about age 13 and, and him continuing to, uh, you know, pour, pour seed into my life. One of the other things he, he would always ask me, he says, now, kid, now listen up now. Are you listening? What two things make you money while you sleep? And, you know, I'm 13, so making money while you sleep, man, that sounded like the right program <laughs> to me, you know. So, um, and then he told me, he said, it, it's rent and interest. And... um and that was the program he wanted me to follow, was um, building assets that generated both rent and interest. And uh, uh, so that is the, the, uh, the things that he encouraged me to focus on. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got my start. Mm-hmm. Very good. A real-life rich dad, poor dad story. Uh, only <laughs> yeah, only a, a real, real life one, one this yeah. time. Yes. Yeah, real one, yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk uh more about how you implemented that great advice that you got as a young teenager. We're also going to invite listeners to call in with any questions at 877-772-9658. You can also email your questions askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Gary Johnston, a real life real estate investor from the Boise, Idaho area, uh, who has built an entire real estate empire, <laughs> a financial, financial freedom machine <laughs> through what a lot of folks would probably consider a fairly conservative investing strategy. Although when you really dig down into what it is that Gary is doing with his deals, you see that there is a lot of creativity to it. If you have questions for Gary throughout the show, you can call us at 877-772-9658, or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Uh, so, so Gary, let, let's talk about your investing philosophy as a as a big thing. Because unlike a lot of the folks who come here on real life real estate, you're not you don't get all that excited about wholesaling a property and making seven thousand dollars cash. It's about something a little bit different for you. Yeah, you know. So the way I kind of look at that, Dina, and and again, I've got some some great friends that are very good at flipping and wholesaling. I mean, they do, uh, uh, I've got one that does a, a, an incredible volume. I've got another guy that, a friend that uh, does a smaller volume, but very big spreads on stuff. Uh, so they make good money. And so at the end of the day, they're making money and they enjoy it. So that's great. That it, it works for them, but I am not a flipper. I'm, I'm a buy and hold guy. And I guess the way that I looked at it, uh, as you mentioned in my bio, um, you know, I worked for, HP, a little over 16 years, almost 17 years. And so I had a good job. And so, um, you know, I, I don't want another job. And no matter how you look at it, flipping is a job, or at least from my perspective. Because if you don't get out there and hustle the next deal, you don't eat. 
And so for me, and, and again, this came very much from Volney beaten into me, that you want to create assets that continue to throw off cash on an annual, monthly, quarterly, whatever basis. Um, and so I'm, I'm not a flipper. I, I you know, and, and everybody, you know, you get people's attention when you show a $25,000 cashier's check from a title company. Great, but I would prefer to have the $25,000 of interest checks coming in or rent checks coming in every month uh, than I would a one-time deal because that one-time money, you got to go back out and create it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, whether it be a note or whether it be a good piece of real estate, uh, you know, you work to find the good deals, get them set up and performing. You know, the last thing I want to do is sell sell the golden goose. It's going to... Um, lay up a lot of golden eggs for a long time. So, again, I, that, I'm just not a believer in flipping. But, uh, again, if, if, if somebody really loves it and they enjoy it and they're making good money on it, that's, that's great for them. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the principles under which you've kind of arranged your real estate life is buy things that cash flow, <laughs> buy, buy things that, 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 that make money uh, month in and month out for years and years and years and years, assuming that you, uh, you know, do the, do the normal maintaining of them and managing of them that has to be done. What would you say that some of your other principles that you live by are? Well, uh, again, there's, uh, everybody has their, their little things that they like. I'm definitely, if it, if it will not cash flow, if you cannot get a, a decent return on it, then uh, it's not a piece of property that I'll I'll buy. Every once in a while, we'll buy a piece of property uh, for a development project, what we call our green bananas. Uh, but those aren't the bread and butter. The bread and butter is the numbers work. And if the numbers don't work, then move on. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he's 80 years old, uh, one of his sayings is that the tenant can't afford to pay for the property, you can't either. And and I think that's a lot of truth. If you look at a piece of property, it needs to to for the tenant to be able to pay for all the bills and service the debt and hopefully put a little jingle in your pocket too. And if if that'll work, then I think that's a property worth looking at. And so, you know, we are uh the the main thing that we look for in a piece of property is a profit. And and I don't mean a flipping profit, I mean a monthly profit. So that's priority number one as we as we look at stuff. I you know if I had the perfect world, you know I love a three bedroom, two bath, two car or three car garage these days. Um, you know in that probably twelve hundred to sixteen hundred square foot range. Uh, you, what I've found is is you put tenants in those and they'll stay for a long time if you keep the property up and you treat them right. Um, so those are the properties that, that I do enjoy. But, you know, we have mobile homes, we have condos, we have duplexes. We, you know, we don't, we don't do fourplexes in our apartment buildings. That's not part of our wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, it, 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 as long as it, you're not going to get shot going there to pick up rent, um, you know, it's a property we'll look at if it makes a profit. Mm-hmm. But if, if I had my preference, it would be, the classic three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, three-car garage, single-family home. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I know uh, folks struggle with particularly, I mean, you, you've had 25 years to kind of work out, like, <laughs> what's my perfect property look like, and what am I going to absolutely say no to, even if maybe it it works on paper and things like that. 
mm-hmm. in terms of return, what do you what what do you what do you think a decent return for the obvious work of owning a property like that is? Well, <laughs> it's a great question, and it, the the lawyer response is going to be it depends. Um, you know, for me, I'm going and you as well, right? You have your number, I have my number. Uh, but the people that are stuck in traffic right now can believe the traffic report is I. <laughs> we just have no traffic where I live, so it's kind of nice. Um, uh, it's going to be different for them. So you know, if if you're earning point one in in a mutual or a, a money market fund, then you know, <laughs> two or three percent might be a good return. Uh, you know, I think for. You know, a lot of people will like to make a minimum of six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. And as you become more experienced, you're going to get up into the teens. Uh, and, you know, I think the other piece of it, too, is um, a person has to be very careful about chasing yield. Um, we always like to have uh, a larger and larger return. Those are are always better. Uh, but sometimes people become so focused on chasing the yield that they start pushing the envelope and doing deals that are a little on the edge. And not to say that every deal that you can make 25 to 30% on is, is risky. Some of the safest deals I've ever done have been in those kind of returns. So the return doesn't necessarily uh, equate to risk. However, I've also watched people that chase more and more yield get into trouble. I mean, the whole subprime thing uh, was – you know, that Wall Street was chasing yield. They couldn't find enough product to give them a decent yield, so they kept pushing the envelope, and then, you know, it kind of blew up on them. And so uh, I guess I would just encourage your listeners to, you know, always, you know, improve your skill set, improve the the deals and the investments that you're making to try to increase the amount of return you're getting on your dollar, but be careful that you don't chase it too high. And so, um, you know, if you can find a deal that that makes sense and um, you're happy with for the return, then that's, that works for you. And that's going to be different for each one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, what I would expect as a minimum return is going to be different than you. It's going to be different than, you know, Jill that's driving home tonight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's there are many times trade-offs for higher returns, uh, and particularly when you're talking about cash on cash return, which is what most people pay attention to. How much did I ha- put in and how much am I getting back out? Right. That's a, that's sort of the simplest return calculation that you can do. But, you know, people people will say things like, well, you know, how do I get a better return on my rental? And the idea and the the simple answer is buy in worse neighborhoods. But you're making mm. a trade off, you know, <laughs> when right. you can when you right. can. Uh, in, in, here in our part of the country, it is still possible to buy a property in a you know sort of border zone area that is is mostly rentals, but not you know you're not going to be afraid to get out of your car in the middle of the day, sort of thing. Not not you know super violent places, and be all in with a completely renovated turnkey house for thirty five to forty thousand dollars that rents for seven hundred a month. That's typically mm-hmm. going to be a good rate of return. You might be trading that for higher management though. <laughs> where yeah. in a in a you know in a in a two hundred fifty thousand dollar neighborhood, which is actually a move up area here, that house that you're proud to own and you want to drive your friends by and point at it and say, "Look what I bought," might only rent for fifteen hundred dollars a month. 
Mm-hmm. So, so there, there are there are lots of moving pieces in here, as you well know, because I mean, you teach entire like three day classes on right. <laughs> on on taking all of the things here uh, into account. But at the same time, as much as as much as we can say, look, it's it's going to vary from person to person. It's going to vary based on your tolerance for other things like mm-hmm. maintenance and management and vacancy and so on. There are certain rules there are certain there there there's there's certain there's certain uh uh things that you have to have sense about uh if i can if i can get into a property for one dollar down and i make a hundred dollars a year off that property that's a spectacular rate of return as a income it's kind of awful <laughs> but it's, right. but it's a, so 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 these things have to be balanced against one another and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, how uh, you balance those things after we take this quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Gary Johnston. He will be in Columbus doing a one and a half hour presentation for the Central Ohio Real Estate Investors on uh, J- uh, June the 3rd and here in Cincinnati on June the 5th. You can get more information about those appearances at centralohioria.com or at cincinnatiria.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I, as always, am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Gary Johnston, and he's talking to us about uh, a, a, an approach that is more conservative than you often hear from the stage, where folks are trying to sell you a $5,000 seminar, and the only way to do that is to tell you you're going to make $10,000 off of your very first deal. I was just on Gary's seminar page, and it said, if you are looking to make $1 million in cash in the next 30 days, you are in the wrong place. <laughs> so uh, sort of sort of the other way around uh, here, and we're talking about um, something that's that's actually, Gary, the traditional way of making money in real estate, all this stuff about all you should do is flip or all you should be is, do is re, re, uh, retail properties. That's an artifact of the last 20 years. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, again, uh, people are focused on those chunks of dollars. And, uh, you know, if you're focused on making five or $10,000, uh, you know, one time, one and done, then knock yourself out. Uh, but I think that it's a lot of work. Um, that you could spend that exact same amount of time and effort and energy. And in a very short time, it's not going to be 30 days, it's not going to be 60 days. You know, it may take you two, three, five years, but you can build up where you're going to have a very sizable uh, asset base that's going to be throwing off uh, significant cash flow every month. And it's every month without you getting up, you know, every morning and trying to figure out where the next deal is going to come from. And, um, you know, so that's the thing that I, you know, I would just encourage people to balance and think about. And at the end of the day, people need to, we're all different. We all have different strategies and different strategies will work. But, you know, I guess the thing I'd encourage people is there is another way um, than, than the classical flip or retail rehab, retail kind of approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I will state, uh, definitively, uh, if, if, even if even if you want to be nice about it, that uh, wholesaling and retailing just doesn't make people rich. It no, gives no, them I've, gives them a good lifestyle. Yep, in, until they stop. A great lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and exactly, and and actually, the ones that 
that I know that are friends of mine that do quite a bit of wholesaling, they also have a pretty big uh, rental portfolio as well. Mm-hmm. And they'll be the first to admit that that's what's really built their wealth. It wasn't the the, the wholesale or the, the flood business. And, you know, the other piece of it, too, is there are times where it dries up. You know, in this last downturn, uh, I know of one guy, he's out. You know, I mean, and there's a long list of them that, you know, they're riding high one morning, and the next morning they're out. They're done because there's no inventory. There's And people aren't buying. And, you know, I mean, things uh, change in a hurry in that business. Uh, you know, so through this whole downturn, you know, I don't even think my rents went down 10%, not even 5%. You know, uh, we, you know, we had to adjust a, a couple of things because we had, uh, you know, people that couldn't sell their home during the, the bad times were trying to rent them and asking for a hundred dollars rental deposit, Yeah, you know, <laughs> which was just a joke, you know, like, Oh, good luck with them. Uh, so, you know, obviously there was a period there that it was tougher to um to get the rents but let's say let's say worst case was 10 percent, and i know if i went back and looked at it there's no way it was 10 percent across the board uh very little compared to you know a third of the value of what it was at the height or 25 percent of the value at the height you know the people that bought and and wrote it all the way down you know it, it just turns on a dime mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very true and and the the if you if you look at anyone who started out in the wholesaling or retailing business, which is a, a fairly common thing that happens, people don't want to, you know, they don't want to commit to rentals to start with, or they don't think they can afford them. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, or they, you know, it, the, the message that's often delivered in in seminars or or dog and pony shows is you're stupid if you're a landlord. You know, look how hard it is. Why would you want to? Why would you want to? maintain somebody else's house you know there's there's almost like this negative message uh that that you'll often hear from some of the same folks who are who are selling uh those other uh types of strategies but i think that um if you look at anyone who who got started in those businesses and is still in real estate 10 years later you're going to find that they all have portfolios of something else they have they have notes or they have they have an apartment building or they have something uh, that they that they switched into because it doesn't take too long to figure out that those strategies are also very highly taxed and that cash has a way of going away no matter how disciplined you think you are about holding on to some of your money it has a way of being spent and uh, the nice thing about rentals is it's all tied up in there you can't spend it without selling the property and it takes a while to sell the property and by the time you finally get around to getting it on the market and finding a buyer you that 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 desire for that jaguar may have dissipated <laughs> by then <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's let's talk about um the way you look at a particular deal. I mean, you said you said it needs to cash flow, but I I know from from reading some of your materials and so on that you don't you don't just look at that your key performance indicator is not necessarily what's in the bank at the end of the month. <laughs> there's 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 other things like uh, pay down and and tax uh, consequences and things like that. How do you how do you sort of look at a whole deal? Well, you know, I look at a lot of different things. Uh, obviously, one of them is the cash flow that it throws off every month. Um, we do not uh, bank on it. 
you know, appreciation to us is icing on the cake. You know, if 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 a property did not go up one dollar in value, um, we want to be happy with the deal. Now we're going to be happier, and and obviously we want it to appreciate. Uh, but that is not something that we're banking on. I always uh, enjoy these people that run these analysis, and if it goes up three percent a year every year, here's going to be where you return. Well, it may not. So if it doesn't, then what? Uh, is is kind of the way we look at it. So, but you know, obviously, appreciations of values, some of the tax benefits. You know, the way I tell people is, um, if Tiddlywinks gave me the same cash flow and the same tax benefits that real estate did, I would be investing in Tiddlywinks. <laughs> and you know, I think that that's a, also a big thing for folks that are listening to this is, which you know, uh, whenever I talk to to somebody that. that uh, has a, a real estate investment club or a, a real estate radio show. They always love when I say this, um, but people become too focused on the vehicle. And if we if we pull back all the layers, all real estate is is a vehicle to get to us to where we want to go. And I really believe where we want to go is to be financially free. That's in my belief, that's the goal, and, and I would encourage a lot of people to focus on that goal. How do you get to financial freedom? And real estate is just a vehicle to get you there. You know, Don't fall in love with real estate. Real estate is not the end-all, be-all. Real estate just is a very nice vehicle to get you to that point. And so um, you know, I think that that's the first thing that I'd encourage people not to get so wrapped up and remember, I'm buying this property because of X. That's why I'm buying this property. It's not because it's beautiful or it's, you know, this flaming deal. That's not the end goal. The end goal is the financial freedom goal. So we look at that. The other piece that, that you know, I, I'm one of those that is a little bit different. I'm way okay with institutional financing. Um, you know, I, I think that institutional financing has some benefits. But if I had my preference, I'd rather do an owner-carry deal. So if you can find a piece of property that the owner is open to carrying back uh, some paper on it, uh, that it becomes a very interesting property to me. So it, it will overcome a lot of other flaws in the deal if I can get some owner financing on that property. So you're right. I'll, I'll look at that. Another, you know, we just closed on one here. Um, I guess that one was last fall. But, you know, you can get some deals where they may not cash flow at all or it may be a small negative. Now, that sounds exactly opposite of what I just talked about, um, but it was a 0% deal. So, you know, if, if I can do a lot of rapid principal pay down, um, I will definitely do those deals. Now, again, you have to be careful because at the end of the day, if you've got too many negative cash flow properties, they'll eat you alive, just, you know, like really bad properties will. But, uh, you know, cash flow isn't everything. It's, it's just a, a one important element on our house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we come back from the break, we are going to take some listener questions that have been coming in via email and uh, also your question, listeners, if you'd like to call it in at 877-772-9658 or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Gary Johnston, who again is going to be here in Ohio if you are within 
a few hours drive you might want to check this out because you didn't get here that much and it was kind of a kind of a thing to, <laughs> to arrange this so uh, you can check out the meeting Columbus at centralohioria.com, the meeting in Cincinnati at cincinnatiria.com. If you're a first-time guest and you walk in and say, I heard about it on the radio, they will uh, hand you a guest pass and let you in for free. So it uh, might be a good meeting to check out. Um, okay, Gary, uh, questions here that are coming in uh, via email at askvina at gmail.com uh have one here from chris uh who says the thing that i have always had problems with is i buy a rental and i think it's going to cash flow but then the maintenance and vacancy expenses always end up being more than i had predicted does your guest have some number that one can apply to the gross rents to account for vacancy and maintenance expenses oh that's a great question that is a great question. So uh, what I always encourage people to do is always have an expense factor uh, that will cover those maintenance and, um, and vacancy things. And so for, for the, the type of property that it is and um, uh, the area is really what will drive those numbers. And so, for example, if you are going to do uh, multi-tenant buildings, and even if it's spread out, you know, it's like a block of seven houses on a couple, three lots that you're buying as a bunch, or if it's an eightplex or a fourplex or whatever, uh, the number I like to use in those is 50%. You, you just assume 50% of your gross rents is going to go away. Uh, and if you... You know, go out and do some research on the National Apartments Association uh, information. You know that's about what it runs. So it, when you get to multifamily, it um, it's going to be in that fifty percent kind of range. Um, for a single family house, a lot of the times, what I've seen, and again, it all depends on the area, all depends on on the type of property. It'll be a third to 40, sometimes up to even 45%, but I don't use a 50% expense factor. If you wanted to be very conservative, 50% is a good number. You know, slice that and go. Um, you know, the other thing, too, on, around the vacancy is, you know, make sure that you really got a good handle on what the rents are. A lot of times I'll see people, especially people who are starting out, is they've got their rents too high. And, and that will, will do two things. Either it will slow down the time that it takes to fill it up, or the second thing is you'll get more churn. Uh, you may get a tenant that is willing to pay that, um, but they're not going to stay there very long. And so I like to be just even a smidge under market. Uh, you know, so if the, the market, what I really believe is day in and day out, market's going to be 850 let's say I, I'll be at 825 um, because I've just found that I get a better selection of tenants and I've got tenants that will stay longer. Now, you know, obviously I will raise rents as the market um, demands and deserves it, if you will. Um, but, you know, I've just found that, if, that rents are a big driver of that. So make sure you, you do your research and, and don't be overly aggressive on rents and then apply expense factors. And that's why... Being a, like your clubs is a great place for that. Uh, 
and I don't know your areas well enough, but let's just use North because you mentioned North Cincinnati, right? Mm -hmm. If you went to a club, you're going to find somebody that has um, some properties in North Cincinnati that has been doing it for a long time, and they can start to tell you what their expense factors are in that area. So to me, it's really important to apply some blankets, be a little conservative if you have to, uh, percentages on the gross rent uh, for your expenses. Mm-hmm. And uh, to clarify, there's there's a set of expenses that you can kind of, you can just line item them in. There's taxes and insurance, for instance. You should yeah. just know what those are going to be. Uh, utilities, if you happen to be paying those, or it's not hard to find out, even on a property you don't own, what the utilities are going to be. Uh, this, this, this 40, 45, 50% factor that you're applying to a single family home is for vacancy, it's yeah. for maintenance. Yeah, I won't go up to 50 on single family. So really, my in my area, it's between the third and 40%. Okay. okay? And you're right. So can I land that in taxes and insurance and all those things? Absolutely. But the thing that is difficult is the water heater goes out. The roof needs to be replaced. The You know, it's those longer-term maintenance things that will come up. I mean, every property has things and for me it's always the year of you know last year was the year of the air conditioner i bet we replaced <laughs> i don't know 10 or 15 air conditioners right and i didn't even get a christmas card from my that guy so um you know so yes when i'm talking about those percentages you can look at a property and go well wait a minute taxes are this insurance is this i'll throw another hundred dollars in there and everything will be fine well it might for a little bit <laughs> but long term it won't be so in my area, in the properties that I am dealing with, I always plan between a third and 40%. Okay. If I was going to go out tomorrow and buy a 20-unit apartment building, I would apply it at 50% factor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's, that's vacancy. It's, it's just the maintenance stuff that happens that, yep. you know, you, it, just, it just happens. And then it's also reserves for, for future repairs. It's, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Those that will not be month in, month out expenses, right? That is high, but it provides you enough room to be able to replace the water, to be able to replace the air conditioners when they go out, be able to, to do things on the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the number could shrink or grow depending on, uh, you know, if you, if you fully stabilize the property the day you buy it. Absolutely. And- <laughs> so if you've gone in and completely redone everything, it could be much lower than that. Um, you know, and again, I'm not familiar with your area. I don't know what your property taxes are. They may be significantly lower than the ones in my area or insurance may be cheaper than what it is in my area. So that's why I think it's important to, to get out and meet experienced investors in the area you're going to be investing. Because even in my areas, I've got two cities that it's 40%. I don't care because the taxes are so high in that city that, I know it's going to be a more expensive property in that city versus city B. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important to get around people that have properties in the area you're looking at to, to get a good feel for what those expenses are. But be very careful with performers. You know, if they're if they're going out and the real estate broker is selling them this property and it's a pro forma and, you know, I call performers, you know, lies and more lies. Uh, and, you know, they're not maliciously doing it. It's just, you know, those those are painted in a way to make it look good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 
you know, it's not going to be that way. Here a couple years ago, somebody brought me a mobile home park, and it was they had a 20% kind of expenses. And I'm like, well, let me pull up a chair because I want to hear how you're doing this. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a moment and and, and say that uh, for someone who was in the position you were in 25 years ago, which is I got a good job. I don't really need this extra income. I'm just building it for the future. Uh, going out and getting bank financing and, you know, having a, a slow growth plan where, you know, maybe I'm getting a high rate of return, but the actual income isn't all that high until I pay my loans off in 20 years. I'm sure this is very appealing to them. They're thinking, why doesn't Vina talk about this every single solitary week? That's exactly what I want to do. But what about the new investor who... Uh, maybe they're drowning in credit card debt. Maybe they don't have the option of going to the bank and getting a loan. Maybe maybe they are thinking, I, this sounds great, and I'll do it as soon as I'm financially stable. What would you say to that person? Well, what I would say to them is uh, I'll start with one of the things that I think is very critical, and that is this, the wealth process always, always starts in your thoughts. So again, the wealth process always starts in your thoughts. And so it is our thinking that is our biggest inhibitor and our greatest help. And so if you're in a scenario where you don't, there's no extra spare cash flow, I'm deep in debt, you know, you got to be kidding me, it's still possible. So you know, there are strategies, you know, one strategy that's a very simple strategy is a lease option strategy where you are building a rental portfolio by going out and master leasing the home from the owner and then subleasing it to somebody else. And at the same time, getting an option or getting the right to purchase the house in the future for a set price. You can do that with little to no money. Uh, and so, you know, what, what I've found is that if you will focus on your goal, what is your goal? So if your goal is to become financially free and it is to be able to build a set of assets that will continue to throw cash off each month, each and every month, then that's your goal and you will figure out ways to get there. And there are lots of strategies on, on how to get there. Uh, and so, you know, that is, and I hate to, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but you know, in a lot of times, cause I'm guilty too, right? Is we make excuses on why we can't do something. Well, that's nice. That, that way may, that strategy may work for you, but you don't understand where I'm at. <laughs> I, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. Let's just say I have no money, Gary. So I can't do that. Well, I guess my challenge back to you is yes, you can. There are lots of strategies and tactics on how you can do it with none to little money and achieve the same thing. You just have to get really focused on what you're trying to achieve. So that would be my argument to the devil's advocate. <laughs> Very good. So so you, you're basically, I mean, you, you would say, yeah, there's some things you're going to need to do for your financial stability, but that that's just an excuse for not starting the wealth building process. I mean, you, you still need to, you still need to go out and find yourself some rentals effectively. 
Yep. Or, you know, and again, uh, not a topic of the of the radio show. I like notes. You know, I, I there's some strategies even with notes that you can do that. And so, yeah, I think the the buy and hold strategy for a lot of asset classes will hold and 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 provide you some cash flow in the short term. Uh, and there's been a number of people that have done it. And so you can, too, is mm-hmm. what I would tell your audience. Mm-hmm. And so the key, as with everything, is you're not going to learn what you need to know to go out and structure deals with seller financing where you don't need money and credit from a hour-long radio show. You've got to go seek out the education, get good quality education, really learn it. You know, you're also not really going to get it from a three-day seminar. You get three-day seminar is a very good start, and then you go review and review and review until you understand it. And then you, of course, have to go out and implement it. That's right. Yep, take action. Very good. Uh, Gary Johnston, appreciate you being here with us uh, t- this evening, and I really look forward to seeing you uh, coming up on June the 3rd in Columbus at centralohioria.com. Uh, and also in June the 5th in Cincinnati. You can get information about that one at CincinnatiRia.com. Again, if you're not a member, first-time guest, you can come in and say you heard about it on Real Life Real Estate Investing, and you'll get a guest pass, and you get to come for free. So uh, look forward to seeing you there, listeners, as well. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.